I think we can all probably admit and accept the fact that we all talk a lot. The real question is, how much do we actually think about what we say? As we dive in and think more about the words we speak, I'm super excited to hear from Dr. Doreen Dodgen-McGee. Doreen is a psychologist with a private practice in Portland, Oregon, a city she loves and wholeheartedly embraces. She also happens to be an award-winning author and maintains an international speaking docket. Most of all, she loves people passionately. As you listen today, I'm confident you're going to get a sense of that love. Okay, so maybe we can have some fun with this idea and make this a little more interactive if you if you don't mind. I'd love it. I'm wondering if we could do a little bit of a role play um, because there are situations in public, you know, or in private too, but just there are situations in our society where, um, you know, we have opportunities to speak different kinds of words. So I'm just going to give you some scenarios and um, I want to see what you might choose to say in response. Okay. So let's pretend I'm the barista at the coffee shop you always go to and you're in Portland. There's like a million, right? Um, do you have a favorite coffee shop to go to, by the way? Oh my goodness. Um, I do. I love heart coffee. Okay. Oh, and never coffee. Never is my very favorite. Okay. So I'm a barista at your local favorite coffee shop. One of those two. And um, you're there all the time, you know, but I've been helping other customers. You've been patiently waiting in line. Let's say it's a Monday morning and everyone's just tired, right? But you're waiting your turn in line and you get up to the counter and you place your order. What do you say to me? I say, and this is very genuine, um, I see you and I aim to be your easiest customer today. Holy cow. You actually say that. I do. I am. I am the most awkward-inducing person. No, I love it. World. <laughs> I love it. And okay, so I just wish. Can I follow you around someday? Because that would be amazing to see. Oh, I do it, and I leave notes on my like when I send when I leave a table, and it, I'm not supposed to bus it. I just leave little note, leave little three by five cards in my backpack, and I just write a note saying thank you for washing my dishes. You've made my day, and send it back. That is so cool. Okay, another scenario real quick. You call your insurance company because there's, an, there's a question about an insurance claim. Those are always fun, right? Um, but I'm the person who answers the phone and I take your call and I'm trying to help you. I introduce myself and I ask how I can help you today. And what would you say? Also a true story. I usually oh, say, I love it. <laughs> I usually, whenever I call customer service, I always say, I acknowledge that you have the hardest job in the world. And I want you to know that my intent is at the end of this call to ask you to transfer me to your manager where I can sing your praises. Wow. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking of some other follow-up questions I'm going to get to in a second, because I want to, I want to put this to the test, but um, another situation, let's say it's another Monday morning, you walk into work and you, you always walk past the receptionist, whoever is in the front of the building or whatever. Um, but you, you walk past that front desk. What's something you might say? I would probably say something like, um, no matter what happens today, I am so grateful for you. Okay. So I'm going to pause because I want anybody who's listening to just pay attention to how these words are making you feel because Doreen's not even like speaking these words to you as a listener, but just hearing this and how different it is from the grind of everyday life where we don't even acknowledge who people are. Um, how, 
I would just challenge if you're listening to pay attention. How could you not feel the warmth, right? So when are you pushed to the limits? Like when are your weak points? Like how do you how do you deal with that? My hardest points are when people who are pushed to the margins in our uh, culture or communities are spoken to or treated with disrespect. And I will, um, I have, I, I was very much socialized and, and um, raised to be a very nice person. And I have in my DNA to be a peacemaker. However, um, there's a line in a Wendell Berry poem where he says, uh, my love must be discriminate or fail to bear its weight. And so when I see someone who has been mistreated, or for instance, I have a 62-year-old adopted Black brother (laughs) who I see being treated pretty egregiously in many situations. And those are situations where do I love both parties? Probably. But will I discriminate in the energy I spend and and love a little more loudly and boldly toward my brother Jackie? I will. Um, those are hard moments for me, and I'm still trying to learn to navigate them. And I want to be able to leave them respecting both myself and the other person. And I believe it's really important that those of us in positions of privilege use our language and our words to um, speak up for those who have not, whose voices have not been elevated or heard. Mm. They have, we just haven't elevated or heard them. Something to think about. Can, can I take a quick detour? Yeah. So in my work with people, you know, heavy grief, people who have lost a loved one, um, we have certainly all been through experiences. You mentioned it's been a tough year for you. So I'd be, I want to be really sensitive with this question, but something that I learned when I worked for a hospice organization was I started to pay attention and learn how, how people refer to that loss. And, um, I'm not going to say this is wrong, right, or any other way. I'm just curious. Like, one of the things I noticed about people is they talk about someone who has died and, and they say um, they passed away or they passed on. And um, maybe I'm just crazy for, for doing this, but I try to refer to that as they died. Um, does that make sense? Is that weird? It is not weird. And I personally believe that language in these kinds of situations matters so much. It matters so much. So, um, and I think, again, we tend to speak out of reactivity and out of maybe unexplored thoughts, biases, and feelings. So if we aren't comfortable with the idea of death or haven't experienced it, we use this language that's sort of amorphous out of our discomfort with it. Um, this year, it is, it is not a secret that I lost a child to suicide. And the number of things that people have said to me simply by not knowing what they were saying you know, someone said to me, oh, honey, you've got years of shame to deal with before you even get to grief. And I thought, I am not ashamed of my child. I just miss my child profoundly and know that this world was impossible for Mm -hmm. him to live in. Mm -hmm. And that is not shameful to me. And even using the language died by suicide instead of committed suicide or this person died or these are important because they're acknowledgments of true things that have happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they help us 
kind of just like like other things neurologically help us. Language helps us make sense of difficult things. So I think you are right on to, to, to wish that we could all use language that helps us do that. I totally get why people um, use those words. And so I never like stop and correct people. But in my own speech with those people, I try to tactfully and gently um, use those different words. Um, and, you know, I'm not talking about like raw, fresh loss, mm-hmm. you know. Um, no, what you're doing there, Jeremy, is so compassionate because just like we would narrate for our children something that has happened, oh, you fell down and you have a scraped elbow and that really hurts and we can get a Band-Aid and we can clear it up and it will heal and it'll be fine. What You're doing that same thing for that family who has maybe experienced loss. You're helping them narrate what has occurred in a loving and compassionate way in such a way that helps them move through their grief rather than stay stuck and sort of, oh, maybe I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. You're giving them alternatives and some options in a really beautiful way. The other the other thing that I try to do is encourage people to speak the, the name of someone who has died. Um, it's heavy, right? And you can tell when they're trying to not say their name because they're afraid if they say their name. I don't, I don't really know. I can't, I'm not going to diagnose this, but it seems sometimes like people are trying to prevent the pot from cracking. And if they say that name, the cracks are going to start. And um, I always try to encourage them to say the name of that person who died that you will always love. So Doreen, what is his name? name is Gage. So Gage, you will always be Gage's mom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something powerful in that. There's this reality that we each have the potential to speak words of life to other people. You know, going back to that proverb, um, we have the power of life and death in our tongue. Can you remember, I'm just curious, a time when someone spoke life-giving words to you? What was that like for you? Oh my gosh, I do. I think of um, a moment where um, a colleague uh, just saw some things in me that I, I, I tend to, I lack confidence, even though I fake it very well. Um, but she spoke very directly about, you know, seeing some important things in me that maybe I wasn't yet able to see and to borrow her confidence in those. And that, that stepping forth was actually an act of faith that was important rather than stepping back because out of fear of being too big or, you know, um, and it, it, her words um, soaked into me so powerfully that they enabled me to take some important steps. And it's a really powerful moment for me to remember that when, when I feel a, a niggling inside of myself or when the listeners feel a niggling, like, oh, I see something in someone that maybe I should bring up, but I feel awkward. I don't have that kind of relationship with them or, you know, do it. <laughs> you can always ask, you know, I have some things that I have felt for you. I would love to share them with you if you're open. Again, if we could all just take little risks in these awkward moments of intimacy and authenticity, I think we could change the world. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so it seems like speaking words of life to others really offers us this opportunity to enhance people's lives. But I know it's a lot easier said than done. Um, And, you know, I I can't help but think of um, like stroke patients I've met um, who have to put work into what they say as they relearn how to speak. Uh, What's the connection between our brain and our mouths? You kind of mentioned the the neural pathways a couple of times, but 
why does it take so much work and what's involved in that process? Well, I think there, there are many different ways we could look at this. We could look at it physiologically in terms of, uh, you know, stroke patients, ALS patients, and, and that's a whole different uh, story. But when we think about the, the psychological impact of language and what how our brains are tied with our mouths, I think, again, we go back to whatever we have practiced and that be in the way of thoughts, so that shows up in the way of biases or whatever we have not explored in the way of feelings, <laughs> you know, our brains if we have not um, become intentional about the way in which we use language, our speech and language is just straight out of those biases and unexamined feelings. And and that's just a function of our brain has a thought and we express it through our mouths. <laughs> and we actually, we kind of see that sometimes like even generationally. Oh, know? absolutely. So that's why I think it's, this is, it's so important to remember that, that neuroplasticity exists and that we can create new neural paths that if we notice that our language is always creating rifts in relationships or actually creating reactivity in others, making them angry or reactive rather than responsive, we can do the work of slowing down when we feel something or we feel an impulse to just talk. We can learn to slow down, take a pause, formate our thoughts or formulate our thoughts and words first. Um, that's what's so beautiful about the brain. We can turn it around. We just have to be willing to do it. One of the most powerful ways I've seen this change in family systems and uh, vocational systems is by using something like an ouch oops um, kind of approach where a family or an organization agrees that if someone says something that causes a strong emotional reaction in others or that feels hurtful, any party at the table can say, ouch, rather than saying like, oh, you triggered me or you're wrong, just to say, ouch, and it stops things. And then the person who has made the comment can say, oops, um, let me try that again. Mm. <laughs> and it creates a pause and, and it, it doesn't then escalate the situation to make it even bigger. It creates a moment for repair and changing those pathways hmm. kind of outside the brain and inside the brain. It's a really powerful technique. I wonder if people heard that modeled more or heard stories of how that interaction changes other people. I just wonder if that's part of the like the gate to, to open to all of this potential is like, because on an everyday basis, like I can sit here with you and I think like, you know, maybe I should try that with my kids. You know, maybe we should implement that, but it's that gap between like cognitively thinking that's a great idea to like putting it. But I just wonder if we'd be more influenced by stories of mm -hmm. what this looks like. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, there's a psychological concept of, of co-regulation and basically co-regulation is just the reality that my personhood in, in, um, in proximity to your personhood impacts yours and yours impacts mine. We mm -hmm. co-regulate to each other. And I just really believe that if I can be a force of love and of affirmation in the world and allow people to co-regulate to that, that also benefits me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it also benefits everyone around us. Mm -hmm. But again, it takes that slowing and that intentional choice to live from a greater sense of relationship with myself and working through my hard and painful and difficult emotions mm -hmm. in safe places so that I can bring that co-regulation opportunity to others. Instead of just tackling the whole world, you know, start a person at a time, one by one. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. That barista, you get to them at, at 8.30 a.m. on Monday morning and you co-regulate with some positivity and they pass that on to the next person and to their coworker, and it slowly begins to make a real impact. Okay. Well, if it's okay with you, I want to wrap it up by playing another quick game. It's a word association thing I like to do with people sometimes. So we're going to test your neural pathways with this, okay? So it's really simple. I'll just give you a couple words and you just tell me the first image or the first thought or the first emotion or... Any, whatever comes to mind, gut reaction. So this is where you can, I don't know, take your filter off for a second and we'll just see what comes out. The first word I want to give you is love. Everything. Okay. How about joy? Difficult. Peace. Oh, being. Okay. Being comes to me. Okay. Uh, Almost done here. How about the word grace? What comes to mind when you hear the word grace? Radical welcome. Mm, That's good. That's good. How about life? Privilege. Mm, That's good stuff. Well, Doreen, thank you so much for taking the time to bring your experience and your perspective. I really do think we could probably sit down for many more hours and have some more conversation. And uh, I would learn a lot from you. But I do, I really appreciate your advice and your tips and your own experiences when it comes to just the value and the power of the words that we speak. Um, If someone wants to kind of learn more from you, if they want to follow along on social media or Whatever else, how could they kind of get in touch and, and pay attention to what you're doing? Um, uh, my website is probably the best site. Uh, it's Doreen DM, so D-O-R-E-E-N-D-M.com. And then I'm on Instagram, mostly Instagram and LinkedIn uh, as Dr. Doreen DM. Cool. Well, I encourage anybody who list, who's listening to, um, yeah, to get in touch and to, to find out how Doreen is trying to practice these things and be a force for change, you know, one person at a time. And Doreen, I truly hope that your life will be filled full with uh, with love and joy as you continue to get to know grace and peace up close. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. It's a real honor. If you enjoyed listening in on this conversation, you can stay up to date and find out when episodes are released twice a month by following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, tell someone about it. Help me spread the word. You can also find me online and contact me by visiting themomentsbeforedeath.com. Thanks for listening.